welcome to the Creative Sheep Podcast. My name is Roman Johnson, and this is the show where we talk to people who are good at what they do to inspire church leaders to get better. And you may be asking yourself, what kind of people? Who do we talk to? We talk to anyone from pastors to business leaders, uh, creative leaders, singers, songwriters, anyone who is good at what they do. We are going to talk to that person, and we are going to take what they say and apply it to church. And so it's a pretty cool deal. Um, today on the on the podcast, we have an interview with Joe McGee. Now, if you don't know who Joe McGee is, he, uh, man, he has a huge ministry dedicated to families and helping families be better families. And Jared Hogue actually had the opportunity to sit down with him and uh, share a really cool conversation that I, uh, I can't wait to share with you guys. Uh, so that's coming up a little bit later. But before we get to that, I want to talk about a, uh, a holiday that's right around the corner, and it is Easter. It is a gigantic holiday for churches, and I know you guys are going to do some amazing stuff this Easter in your churches, and you know, we would like to actually throw our hat in the mix uh, for being a part of your service, and that actually brings us to a brand new segment in the podcast called Shameless Plug. Shameless plug. Shameless. Shameless plug. Shameless plug. Shameless plug. This is a segment where we shamelessly plug something that we have done that we think could be beneficial to you. So today's shameless plug is all about a piece called Because He Rose. We produced a piece for Easter and it actually tells the full Easter story within it. So if you're looking for a creative way to tell this story of Easter, maybe to set up your message or even set up the altar call, um, definitely go check this out. It has some huge awesome drums, and it would actually work well uh, with a live element, with a live drumming element. So maybe you're looking for something creative, go ahead and head over to our website, thecreativesheep.com. It's on the main page. You can't miss it. It's called Because He Rose. Definitely check it out. I think you're going to like it. Also, I wanted to let you know, in case you're wondering, we do custom work. Whether you need some graphics done for your website or for your service, or maybe you need a video, motion graphics or otherwise produced, we can handle that. So definitely drop us an email uh, through our contact page on our website. Again, that's thecreativesheep.com, and we'd be happy to help you in any way we can. That concludes our shameless plug segment. Moving on. Shameless plug. We have an interview with the one and only Joe McGee. So without any further ado, I'm going to kick it over to Jared Hogue interviewing Joe McGee. This is Jared Hogue, and today I'm sitting with Joe McGee. Joe, thank you for joining us today. You're welcome, Jared. Good to be here. Yes, sir. Okay, well, for those of you that don't know Joe, which are, I'm sure, few and far between, Joe travels the country speaking to families. And um, Joe, why don't you just give us the condensed version of how you got where you are today? Well, we've got a ministry called Faith for Families. We teach seminars on the home. It sort of started years ago when I was a school administrator on staff. We realized most of the problems we were dealing with had to do with the home. It's not educational problems. We've got family problems, marriage problems, parenting problems. So we went to pastor and said, we got a problem. we we got to get the family because most of the families in our city are from somewhere else. We're a very transit city, the oil industry, the airline industry, the hospital industry. So I remember one night we had 27 kids in the fifth and sixth grade class. We asked them, how many of them are from Oklahoma? Only two. So everybody else had moved in from somewhere else. So you're not next to your grandparents, your aunts, your uncles, your neighbors, your friends. You're here by yourself. And so that will mess with you. There's no support anywhere. You're on your own. You're like living in a desert. So that creates different family issues. So we thought, well, we need to have a parenting class. So we went, we looked for three months. Hey, would you teach on parenting? We, we're going to have a class on Sunday night. We need, we need help with our parents. So we got a great church. We're running 3,000 people, people being saved, spirit filled. We're going on mission trips. Money's abundant. We're blessed. Except come Monday morning, our offices are packed with counseling sessions, marriage problems, parenting problems, money problems, sex problems. Like, what is going on? For all the great things that happened on Sunday, hell showed up on Monday morning. 
So, well, it's knowledge. God said, my people destroyed for lack of knowledge. So we looked for three months to find somebody that would teach us on parenting on a Sunday evening from 5 to 5.50. Three months later, nobody. People said, I'll teach on healing. I'll teach on witnessing. I'll teach on the Holy Spirit. I'll teach on anything, but no parenting. And we started asking, well, why? He said, because I love my church and I don't want to have to leave it. I said, I know what will happen. I'll start teaching on parenting. My kids are going to go stupid. We're going to get embarrassed. We'll have to leave our church. So one family said this, said, you wait till our kids grow up, move out of state, and we'll come teach on parenting, but not until then. And I thought, you've got to be kidding me. So we told Pastor, he said, well, we can't wait. You're going to have to do it. I said, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to go to the class. I've got two kids. I've already messed them up. I'm going to the class. He said, no, you're going to teach it. So I went home and told my wife, I said, we're going to have to do this class on parenting. She said, my God, you don't know anything about parenting. I said, I know. But I got to teach it. That's what I get paid to do. I got to teach it. So anyhow, I went to a local Christian bookstore and I said, you got any books on parenting? They had two. And I went home and I said, okay, we need a curriculum. I got to have 48 classes, 48 Sundays, take off four for holidays. So what do I want to know? So I just started writing down the titles of classes that I wanted to know. Number one, where do babies come from? You know, why do we have babies? We're trying to save a dying world, you know. Don't have time. We're changing diapers and burping and spitting up and wiping up. Like, what are we doing? But God knew that everything comes out. God made everything mature, reproduced immaturity, trains it up to be mature. Reproduced immaturity, trains it up to be mature. God said we're one generation away from being dead. We're supposed to train up the next generation. So we started the parenting class, and uh, depending on what you taught, depending on who showed up, you teach on child abuse, uh, hardly nobody would show up. You teach on, you know, how to get your kids a college degree. The only people that show up, people trying to get their kids into college. You teach about friendship. The only parents that would show up are people concerned their kids are hanging out with the wrong kids, you know. So depending on the title, that's who you drew. And I realized everybody hath a psalm, hath a hymn, hath an opinion. So for eight and a half years, we taught parenting every Sunday evening from 5 to 5.50. Well, you know, it's a big city we live in, and we know a lot of people, and a lot of the other people we participate with seminars, so... People begin to ask us at Old Roberts University and Willie George Ministries, hey, can you come teach at our seminar? And I said, sure, because we're free. We're local. So what do you want to teach on? I said, no, I'll teach on parenting. I said, okay. So for 10 years, we taught at the three biggest national conferences in our city on parenting. So we sort of built a name for ourselves. And the next thing you know, we're working for a pastor and who is my pastor now, Pastor George, and I love him. And uh, so we're there about a year and crusade coordinator, and we got laid off. We had to shut things down and change it up, so... I'm sitting here, I don't know, what am I going to do? I don't know, I just got laid off from church. And so pastor came in, what are you going to do? I said, well, God told me years ago that one day I would travel all over the country and I teach on family, especially on parenting. I said, I guess it's time. And so I said, well, do you have a ministry? I said, don't have a thing, you know. So I got to go get me a 501c3, get an attorney, get a post office box. And so anyhow, pastor said, well, you know what? Uh, you've done great for us teaching on parenting. I'll mail out some brochures. Print me up a brochure and I'll mail them out for you. So he did. And so I printed up 2,500 brochures, just sissy-looking brochures, you know. All it said was biblical parenting. I mean, there's healing crusades, there's end-time revival things. Who's teaching on parenting? So anyhow, he took, mailed them out to all the churches that come to his conference. And in six days, we booked 75 churches. In six days, we had 75 invitations come in. And so I went to 75 churches the first year. Uh, that's been 22 years ago. We've never done a mail-out since because of word of mouth. So every year we do about 80 churches a year, you know, about average about 27 to 30 states. Most of our seminars are on parenting, marriage. We do seminars on men, on family finance, anything to do with the home. I always believe the last great day revival be in the family. Family is the first thing God lost. 
It's going to be the last thing he puts together. God always finishes stronger than he starts. So there's an incredible anointing today, a great outpouring on the home. God said, I will turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children, the children back to the fathers before my son comes back to the earth. So the last great day revival is going to be among the family. So I'm just an old engineer. You know, they got saved and spirit filled. I thought, you know, if I'm going to do something, let's get in the middle of it. The hottest thing in the last day is going to be the family. Let's just jump in the middle of that. And so that's what we did. And so, like I said, today we're, we're running to keep up. You know, I've got an office in Franklin that my daughter runs now with our publishing company. And got this one here in Tulsa, and uh, we're still expanding. We've got a lot of things to do yet. It's going to be great. Wow. Great story. Um, you beat me to my next question is why is your family, why is your ministry specifically targeted to families? <laughs> but you already answered that. Um, one thing I've known you, I, I've been following you for probably about 12 years now. Um, and one of the things I know that you talk a lot about is vision and the importance of having a vision. Um, I specifically remember t listening to this before I was married and hearing you talk about daughter coming home thinking the guy's greatest thing since sliced bread. But if he ain't got no vision, he ain't worth a hill of beans. And so specifically though, now tying this to the church world, that, that's who the people that are listening to this, pastors, creative directors, that kind of thing. Um, is it important for a church, for a, a creative team, whatever the case may be, is it important for them to have a vision? It's critical, you know, we've got one main scripture, Proverbs 29, 18, where there's no vision, the people perish. Who are you and what are you doing here? So even in the secular world, I used to have a seminar that would come here to Tulsa about every third year. and. $1,500, one day seminar, $1,500 for one day. It was on visions, not Christians, just secular. They had six sessions, six one-word sessions, who, what, where, how, why, when. I thought, that's fascinating, let's go. Well, it's all biblical, they just gave no scripture. Like, if you don't know who you are, and what you're doing, where you're going, five years from now, you're going to be in the same place, just older and more broke than you are today. You know, we got the old sayings you've heard for years, except for the books you read and the people you meet five years from now, you're going to be the same place you are right now. Uh, everybody, every generation gets weaker. Uh, if you, throughout the Old Testament, New Testament, the devil's a thief. He's a murderer and he's a liar. So every year, if you're not pressing into God, you're losing ground. You're not holding ground. Nobody's holding ground because the world's changing. So God said, you need a vision. What is that? Well, do you know who you are? For example, just in the New Testament, in him, in whom, in Christ. You got 134 scriptures. Most people can't quote one of them, let alone three of them. The Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, a thing is established. Do you know who you are in Christ? Do you know what God's done for you through his son, that you've been redeemed from the curse of the law, that you're going to be the head, not the tail above and not beneath, that God says with long life will I satisfy and show you my salvation, that God's going to give you a great spouse and God's will is that you find a gift from God that sucks the lips off your face. That's really the will of God. Well, most people are going through hell. The marriage rate's the lowest it's ever been. Divorce rate's highest. Murder rate's up. Rape rate's up. It's like, what is it? Well, it's the last days. So you go to the book of Jude, 2 Timothy, Matthew 22, Luke 17, the last days, perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of place more than lovers of God, and heady, high-minded, truce breakers, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, disobedient to parents. Everything you see on the news every day is what God said would happen in the last days. What's going on? Well, hell's erupting. The devil knows his time's short, and he's tearing everything up. If you can tear up a home, if you bust a family, you can bust a community. You bust a community, you bust a city. You bust a city, you bust a state. The devil's not stupid. You go after the home, you got them. So God said, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters are going to prophesy dream dreams and have visions. And I will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers. Why? Because the devil's busting the family. 
And so I'm going to put it together. It's going to be a great outcome. But that takes knowledge. You know, most men don't know how to be a better husband. I grew up, you know, in the typical Southern household. You know, the men are the head. Let's God, you're I'm the head. You do what I say. The Bible says so. No, you're the head servant. You're not the head of nothing. Jesus said, you want to be great in my kingdom, you become the servant of all. So the vision thing was we lost it. We're just trying to out yell, out hit, out cuss, out swear, out spend everybody else. Like, you don't know who you are, do you? You don't know that you've been redeemed from all that, that God's going to supply all of your need, that he's going to surround you with the shield of divine favor. People are going to like you and not even know why. You don't know that. That's why you're always out for yourself. I, me, me, I, and I. And that's why the world's messed up. People get married, we're in love. No, you're not. That's your flesh. You saw a piece of flesh, you like it. And that's normal. God designed it that way. God made men and women to be attracted to one another. But next, you need to get your soul involved. You know, well, do you like what I like? Do you, you love God? Do you fear God? Do you have any place you're going? So it's the spirit, soul, and body thing gets combined. So I've I got five daughters. You don't marry a man that's not going anywhere. Your job is to be called to be a helpmate to somebody going somewhere. If he's not going anywhere, he doesn't need any help. I don't care how good looking, how funny. I don't care how, it doesn't matter. He has no vision. 20 years from now, you're going to look like you've been drugged down the interstate behind a bump of a car, wore out trying to support his sorry self because he has no vision. Because if you don't have one, the devil's going to clean your plow. So I go back to, we still do it every, we're going to do it here in another week and a half with all of our family. We do it every year at Christmas time, all my son-in-laws, all my family. Pay for your Christmas vacation. It's my Santa Claus gift to you. But, Four hours on one of those days, we're going to sit down and we're going to do the who, what, where, how, why, when. We're going to do a vision casting. Tell me who you are. I want three scriptures. Where are you going? I want three scriptures. Why are you going now? I want three scriptures. At the end, I give them a one blank piece of paper, and I want you to tell me now that you know who you are and where you're going, why you're here. I want you to give me one sentence. Where are you going to be in five years? I want one sentence. Put it on that piece of paper. Where are you going to be in five years? That's okay. Then where are you going to be in four years? I want one sentence. Where are you going to be in three? And I make them lay out a five-year plan. I make them hand it back to me. Okay, I'll give it back to you next year. You got 12 months to do something with it. Because 12 months from now, next Christmas, you're going to be really embarrassed if you don't make this thing happen. You're going to say, well, what? well, life was hard and I got laid off and they wrote me back, you know, and I had an accident. There's always some thumb sucking excuse why you don't build a life. You don't, Jesus didn't. Jesus didn't find a church. He built one out of thumb-sucking, hell-bound sinners. You don't find a life, you build one. You don't build nothing without a vision. What are the plans? Well, there's no vision to perish. So who are you? What are you doing here? Where are you going? And if you don't know how to ask God and get that, you're stuck. You're just walking in a circle. And that's the most frustrating thing in the world today are people who have absolutely no vision for their life. And people who have no vision are mad. They're mad at the government. They're mad at the president. They're mad at the Congress. It's always somebody else's fault when you have no vision. Well, it's my daddy's fault. My mama's fault. My coach went and played. My teacher went and passed. My boss fired me. It's always somebody else's fault when you have no vision. And that's why the devil's got you by the throat. You're never going anywhere until you get a vision of who you are in Christ. Because God, listen, God's son never sinned once. He had opposition every day. Some people think if I get saved, I won't ever worry about anything. No, hell showed up the day he found out who he was. You know, we get to overcome, be more than a conqueror. He didn't say we were immune to the tests and trials of life. They come to everybody. But if you know the word of God, that's your only weapon. The word of God is the sword of the spirit. You're going to say what God says. Who are you? Well, I'm a child of God. Well, you're probably going to die early. No, God promised me that with long life, he would satisfy me, show me salvation. You're probably going to get depressed. That's what most of the medicine never drugstores, depression. No, no, the joy of the Lord is my strength and I have the mind of Christ and the wisdom of God. Well, nobody's going to hire you. Oh, no, I got divine favor. People like me and they don't even know why. God did it for Daniel, did it for Joseph, he'll do it for me. The word of God becomes your vision. That's why you got to get in and feed on it all the time.
how would you start getting a vision then? Where, where do you start? Well, I have people come in. I had a guy come in and been laid off American Airlines a few months ago and, and a great guy, you know, white collar guy. He's doing really good. Well, his kids have to drop out of college. He's probably going to lose his house. I mean, he's devastated. And so I said, well, you're not devastated. God didn't, God saw this coming. Okay. This didn't shock God. The fact you've been laid off, you've lost your job did not shock God. God still said all of your needs are supplied. So I said, I said, well, what are you called to do? And he said, what? I said, what are you called to do? He said, well, I'm an usher at section three up at church. No, 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 no. And they said, what do you do? What are you called to do? Well, I'm not a minister. I didn't say minister. What are you called to do? And he had, he didn't have a clue. When I was asked, I said, do you not know what you're supposed to be doing in life? I said, how do you know what to do every day when you get up? Well, I, I got a great job and I moved up the food chain and I got myself a degree. Yeah, but what are you called to do? And he still didn't get it. And most adults don't. So I sit down and so I, I do a little three test thing. So I, number one, I keep a copy of the old unemployment test. I'm going to take a test here. Here's the old unemployment test. I'm going to find out what you're good at. I got a test called Discover Your God-Given Gifts by Donna Katie Fortune, professional educators out of California. They retired to Florida. They wrote a great best-selling book. You can get Barnes Noble today called Discover Your God-Given Gifts based on Romans chapter 12, verse 6 through 9. Are you a perceiver? Are you a motivator? Are you a giver? Are you a server? Because there's jobs that line up under those gifts. God gifted you at the moment of conception. He called you at the moment of conception. Psalm 139, verse 15 and 16. All the days of your life were written in a book in heaven before your mother met your father. God has a divine plan for your life. But well, I've never heard this because you're not asking. Jesus told everybody, you have not because you ask not. Ask that your joy might be made full. Prayer's not a religious thing. Prayer's a legal thing. God cannot do a thing for anybody that doesn't ask him. God's not allowed on this planet. God gave this planet to Adam. Adam gave it away to the devil when he sinned. God's not allowed down here. That's why we have silent night, holy night, we through kings of Orient are. God was not allowed on this planet. He gave it to a human, a human lost, and only a human can get it back, thus the virgin birth. God won't cheat. He had to get it back legally. So here we are on an alien planet where Satan is, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the legal God of this planet. John 10, 10, he steals, kills, and destroys. Why is there so much hell? Why is God letting this happen? God's not letting nothing happen. He's not in charge. He gave it to Adam. Adam gave it away. Now that we've been born again, though, we've got authority over that devil. We're, we're to rebuke him and resist him and plead the blood and grow up in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. We are behind enemy lines. That's why Ephesians 6 says we've got armor, heaven of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, shoe shot. It's like, go get something. We think, well, my ship's coming in. Your ship's not coming in. There's no ship. You got to swim out there and build you a boat. It's not coming to you. And so it goes back to learning how to build a life and not do that. So I think the, the biggest thing right now, the greatest thing anybody will ever do is get in a local church. The local church is the, if you look at the Word of God, two things survive forever. The body of Christ and the Word of God, everything else is going to disappear. One day there's a new heaven, new earth. So if people and the Word of God are the two most important things, might want to put some time into that. Might want to be a part of the body of Christ. Might want to read your Bible on a regular basis and kind of renew your mind so you don't think stupid. So I used to have people come in, why does my kid act stupid? I said, well, it's real sad, but they think stupid. You act like you think. And you think on what you feed on. So whatever you're reading the most, listening the most, watching the most, that's what you're thinking, and that's what's coming out of you. You've got to feed on, meditate on the Word of God. That's what's going to that's what's going to save you. I've heard you talk about dreaming big. Um, where do where do you recommend starting with dreaming big, or someone that's been doing this for years, like yourself? What's well, next? What always motivated me was seeing other people doing better than me. You're provoked to good works by seeing other people doing better than you're doing. And God designed that. I said, well, that's not right. Oh, no, it's biblical. You know, what, what are you going to do? Well, I, you know, you're sitting there. We grew up in a poor family, little rent house, $55 a month, you know. 
Uh, you know, my dad, my senior in high school, made 10000 a year. We thought we were doing pretty good. You know, I didn't get my driver's license until I was 18. We didn't have a car to drive. People still think you're making that up. I said, I'm not making I lived in a log cabin when I was five years old. We grew up poor, poor in the Appalachians. And what you realize? Well, I was 17 when I realized that God ain't poor no more. I thought somehow poverty was a gift from God. Well, no, it stinks. I hated poverty. And so we began to watch other people like, well, how did you get that job? Well, because I can do this. And I learned early in life, you get paid for two things. You get paid for what you know and what you can do. And if you don't know more than somebody else and you can't do more than somebody else, you don't get paid more than somebody else. Nobody owes you a job. So you go back to the vision, like, what am I called to do? I don't care if it's an electrician, a plumber, a doctor, a lawyer, a preacher. What are you called to do? I'm called to do this. Well, then do it really good. Because people don't want to hire somebody that's not good at what they do. You know, I don't hire my dentist because he loves Jesus. I hire my dentist because he's real good at what he does. I don't hire my carpenter because he loves Jesus. I hire because he's a real good carpenter. I don't care whether you know Jesus or not. Can you do this job really good? You know, and people get so religious on some stuff. But I go back to the fact of what do you like doing? So I go back and I give those three tests. Uh, this is the previous question every year, and we'll do it this Christmas. I give those three tests, the unemployment tests, discovery God gave them gifts tests. There's an academic skills test that comes out of Fort Worth. So every year I do the same three tests. They're not even related, but every year I make them write down. What are you good at? I'm good at this. Well, the Bible says your gift to make room for you, bring you before kings to make you wealthy. What your job is is to develop your gift. What do you like doing? You shouldn't hate going to work. If you hate going to work, there's a problem. There's a bad problem. You ought to love going. Why? Well, they've hired me to fix hell. It's what I do. Jesus was recruited to fix hell. What are you going to do, Jesus? I'm going to fix hell. I'm here to fix hell. I do it every day. Blind eyes, put you some new eyeballs in. Got no hand, I'll grow you one out. Got a dead kid, let's get him up out of the casket. You hungry, we'll have 5,000 Happy Meals every day of Jesus' life. What are you going to do today, Jill? I'm going to fix some hell. We're going to do tomorrow. We'll fix some more hell tomorrow. It's what I do. I don't gripe about hell. I don't thumbsuck about hell. I fix hell. It's what I do. And so I tell you, when you get a job, they've hired you to fix hell, not because you needed a job. The more hell they got, the better you're going to get paid. But can you fix any hell? Are you trained to do anything? So, you know, I went to one year of college and, you know, pretty much they wrote me a letter saying I can never come back for legal reasons I don't go into, but I was stupid. And so I realized, based on my paycheck, I didn't know anything, nor could I do anything. I was sitting in the factory thinking, oh my God, 20 years, I'm gonna look like these guys, man, they're just wore out, and man, they're beat up, I'm like, oh, I can't stay here. So I went and re-enrolled in night school, I gotta learn how to do something. And of course, when I went, I remember when I got uh, laid off, I went to the unemployment office, and, and they said, well, you know, well, you know, I got laid off, I need a job. I said, well, we need you to take a test. I said, I don't wanna take a test, I need a job. He said, well, we've got to find out what kind of job to give you. I have no job. Any job's better than no job. Just give me a job. They said, no, you got to take a test. And so I took this test. This guy came out about 30 minutes later with a cigarette hanging out of his mouth. He said, well, Mr. McGee, based on the results of your test, we recommend you look for a job in one of these three areas. Stay away from everything else. And that was the greatest advice I'd ever heard in my life. People said, how'd you become an engineer? The guy at the unemployment office said I'd be a good one. Had you ever been one? I couldn't even spell engineer. No, I don't even know how to spell it. But I became one because I realized I like this. I love the mechanical. I love the people thing. I love the developing. That heathen helped me find out what I was good at. So the whole thing, going back to the vision, is you shouldn't hate going to work. God designed a doctor to be a doctor, a plumber to be a plumber. Like Whether you're saved or not, you should love fixing what you're good at fixing. You get a check and you get accolades. Man, you did a great job and here's a check. What two better things could you get? <laughs> Somebody pat you on the back and write you a check. And so we try to find out what are you good at? And so we've really been big with the kids to help them early. Well, I don't know what my vision is. Well, let's sit down and find out what you like to do. Many times you got to find out what it is you don't like to do. 
I remember with my high school students, every year it was mandatory uh, they had to take a class. 50-minute class, you know, it's mandatory. you got to take this class to find out what you're called to do. And so uh, I said, you're gonna, we'll give you all these tests. At the end of the test, discover your God-given gifts or hundreds of vocations. Based on the results of your test that say you could be good at this, pick me 12 vocations in that gifting area. And they would pick them out. So here's what we're going to do. you got nine months to find uh, these vocations. For one, one guy, he said one of his vocations was he'd be a good orthodontist. Said, well, what's on your thing, Jerry? He said, well, it says I'll be a good, he couldn't even pronounce orthodontist. I said, well, that's good. Write that down. He said, well, what is it? I said, well, write it down. We'll help you find one. And so during that year, they had to find a local orthodontist. We would work with them through the school office and go in and do a 10-minute interview with the orthodontist. Here's what you do. You go visit the orthodontist. We're going to put them in the book. We're going to promo them, tell everybody to go get your teeth fixed there. Listen, how'd you, you ask this. How did you get to be an orthodontist? How much money does an orthodontist make? What kind of car does an orthodontist drive? What kind of house does an orthodontist live in? Where does an orthodontist go on vacation? If you could do anything else other than orthodontist, what would you like to do? They're all carnal. And so I remember Jerry came back after the he dropped before Christmas and said, okay, who's done your stuff so far? I said, Jerry, did you do it? Yeah, I did that. I said, what'd you find out, Jerry? Mr. McGee, I do not want to be an orthodontist. He said, that is a nasty job. You got to spend all day with your face on somebody else's face. It's good, Jerry. Take a pencil, draw a line through orthodontist. We have found one thing in life you're not going to do. There are many seniors that would go through all 12 vocations and say, I don't want to do any of those. They said, praise God. You found out what you don't want to do. We're making progress. Listen, you go, Old Testament, God sends the prophet to the house of Jesse to find the next king of Israel. Knocks on the door, Jesse opens the door and says, hey, I'm the prophet of God. I'm to anoint your son, king of Israel. He said, well, I've got a lot of sons. The prophet said, well, God didn't say anything about that. So we'll get him out here. And he lines up seven boys. And God's not telling me, that God, which one is it? He's not talking. He said, well, I get stoned to death if I get this wrong. It's the only form of entertainment they've got. So he said, well, this is probably the oldest. He looks like a, he looks like a king. He starts to pour the oil on his head. And God said, that's not him. Boy, God, you about got me killed. Probably the second born. They're more aggressive than the first born. Starts to pour the oil on his head. God said, that's not him. God never told him who it was. God kept telling him who it wasn't. At the end of seven no's, he says, you got any more boys? Yes, I got one more. We don't let him in the house. Smells like sheep. Well, get him in here. And the Bible says that the ruddy, complected runt of the family, David, comes running in. The prophet looks at him. And the message translation says, God, you got to be kidding. He said, no, son, you're judged from the outside. I see his heart. He's my next king. Soak him. And he poured the oil over his head. Well, Old and New Testament alike, you find out it's not finding out who it is, it's finding out who it isn't. It's not finding out what it is, it's finding out what it isn't. But if you're not moving, most people say, we're waiting on God. No, you're not. Nobody's waiting on God. God's through. He's finished. He's done. He's waiting on us. Start moving. If you don't move, God won't order steps of somebody sitting still. God won't direct paths of somebody. Start moving and find out what it isn't. So the vision thing is, we can help you find a vision. Let's take some tests, find out what you like and don't like. We'll eliminate a lot of stuff right there. Let's nail it down to about 12 jobs. We'll go do some interviews and find out, well, dear God, I don't want to do that. Well, praise God, we're narrowing it down and we're going to get it down to about two or three jobs. And eventually you're going to realize, you know, I think I like this. Why do you like this? Because I know there's a lot of stuff I don't like. Praise God. We're and sometimes it's just the process of elimination. You know, God sends Paul to the Gentile world. Acts 5, he goes to six cities in a row. This is the Apostle Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Six, he gets to the city and he says, God said, this isn't it. Well, it looks like a place a lot of heathen have. This isn't it. Where's it at? We'll keep moving. I'll let you know. Gets to the next city. God said, this isn't it. Well, where's it at? I'll let you know. You just keep moving. He got six no's in a row until finally he said, so why don't you go to Macedonia? And Paul said, it just seemeth right What'd you get? I finally got my yes. Why? I got six no's and God finally, this is it. Old and New Testament, if you're not moving, you don't find your vision. 
people are waiting on a burning bush and an angel to appear in their bedroom. It's not coming. God wants you to start moving. And that's the greatest thing we can teach anybody. Start moving and find out what is it. Well, it's not that. It's not that. And it's not that. We're making progress. This is incredible. And eventually you'll find out what it is. God will talk to you. Back to the tests that you were talking about. Yep. Do you still take those tests yes, yourself? Yes, every year. And how, how old are you? I am, I am 63. 63 years old, still taking these tests. Yes, I still take that That's test incredible. every year. Um, and, and just before we started the interview, you were telling me a story of um, before, before, long before you even got into ministry, that looking for people that are doing things better than you. I remember yes. you telling, was it an electrical company Yeah, you my dad for? was an electrician and I was working for an electrical company. And uh, they were much bigger than us, making a lot more money than us. Well, I'll tell you, the British stores, when I was an engineer, and our biggest competitor was Southwire in Atlanta, and uh, we're, we've had two layoffs in a row right at Christmas in our company, uh, Triangle Wire and Cable in Sykes, Missouri. Two, and I thought, man, we, of all the times to have to lay people off Christmas time, my God, this is, this is no good. Well, Southwire, our biggest competitor, they're not laying anybody off. Why? Well, we find out they're making a product that we're making. We made all kinds of copper wire, 12, 2, 14, 2, 18 gauge, 22 gauge. All of a sudden, there was the big wire journal, because you're reading about your competitors, said that they were making this product four times faster than we are. We're claiming we can make it 1,000 feet a minute. They said they can make it 4,000 feet a minute. Now, the engineers in my department, that's impossible. You cannot make that product that fast. It, you, you'll tear down the diameter of the wire, the electricity, you'll start a fire. You can't make it. The way the process is, because you got to pull it off a reel, and you can only pull it so fast with so much tension because it reduces the diameter. Electricity doesn't go in the wire. It goes down the surface of the wire, and that's why you can cause a fire. And so that's Possible. I'm a great engineer. You cannot make that fourth. Well, they claim they are. So my boss said, you know, we just need to go visit them. I said, what? Yeah, we're going to go visit them and ask them how they do it. They're not going to tell us. It's sure Joe Heathens love to brag about themselves. We asked them, I'll guarantee you. So we flew down, had no appointment. And the reception, can we help? He said, we want to see your engineer. And he came out, can we help you? Yeah, we're from your, one of your competitors, you know, <laughs> trying to wire and cable, a small competitor. Uh, you do everything better than we do. We'd like to just take a tour of your plant. And the guy just stared at us a minute. Finally, read back, bust out laughing, said the five most eloquent cuss words I've ever, I've ever heard said, well, come on in. And he gave us a tour of the plant. Now, we didn't tell him everything. We did tell him we're competitive. We'd like to see your plant. What we're looking for is that one product line. Somewhere in there, they're making that product 4,000 feet a minute. And we didn't ask for any blueprints. All we did, and sure enough, about an hour into the interview, or taking the tour through the plant, we saw it. I thought, and the minute we saw it, we knew, son of a gun. That's how they do it. Completely different. They went, instead of pulling it off a reel, they turned it sideways like a spool of thread, long story short, and they could run that 4,000 feet a minute without reducing the diameter. We went back with no blueprints. We found a local uh, machine shop guy. I said, listen, this is what it looks like. It's like two giant snow cones turned sideways like a giant Playtex brassiere, and these things go down this thing, and he said, what? And so he kept redesigning. Three months later, we were making that product 4,100 feet a minute. We never had another layoff. The point of that story, there's always somebody doing something better than you're doing it. They're not coming to you. Wise people do not run back down the food chain. You want to be wise, you got to run up the food chain and get around wiser people. Whether it's with your marriage, your business, your parenting skills, you got to find somebody doing it better than you and you got to chase them. They're not chasing you. They're chasing people smarter than them. And people are always honored to be chased. You ask them questions, they'll, they'll talk your ear off. Hey, how do you do that? How do you get? How do you make your marriage? How come your kids are so obedient? Well, we do this, this, and it'll always be something real natural. It's not going to be some wacky spiritual thing. You got to ask questions. So, when it, in regards to asking questions, then in the church world, should the church world only be looking at the church world no. to get better? No, no, goodness, no, no. <laughs> Have mercy, no. no. You're never going to grow or do anything. 
Uh, we do about, like I said, 80 churches a year. Uh, some of the most successful churches we go to are people who never even been to Bible school. They came out of the business world. And because it's not your preaching, that, that's about 10% of what you're going to do. That's a very, now you got to preach good. You got to study, you got to be anointed to do that or it's not going to bear any fruit. 90% is people, dealing with people. People going through hell, people that are mad, people that are sad, people that are going through divorce. They just got laid off. They got an uh, incurable disease. Their kid just got diagnosed with something. You're going to deal with hell, and you need people who know how to deal with hell. They're not afraid of hell. you got to have people like the disciples that Jesus had. Said we said those that have turned the world upside down have come here also. So what do you do? Is this a fun thing ministry? No, we're looking for hell every day. Our job is to storm the gates of hell, Matthew 6. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against us. We're looking for hell. We're looking for a sad, beat up, destroyed people. We're going to do save them one step at a time. We're looking to fix problems. So church world's like, what do you do? We've got to learn how to reach a lost and dying world. The world's not coming to us. Nobody gets up. Nobody ever gets up on a Sunday morning, have an angel appear to him. You should go to church today. All right. Where should I go? <laughs> They're not going to do that. Like I remember our home church, and, and you know it well. It's like we have one big Sunday a year, and we invite Metal Ark Lemon, a Rodeo Champion. We never invite a preacher for our big Sunday. People are not coming to hear a stinking preacher. They're coming to hear a rodeo champion or Medlar. My God, Medlar's going to be there. He'll sign autographs on your basketball. Grab the kids. Let's go down. I remember one year we had a big Apache helicopter land for the kids. Biggest tents we ever had. And the guy didn't even get out. We just circled the thing, took the kids out. Here comes the Apache helicopter. He lands. He waves. He took off. That was our biggest son. And kids were thrilled. My God, you got to come to my church. We had an Apache helicopter. Had nothing to do with Jesus. If you don't meet the natural needs, you'll never get to the spiritual. People do not come to church for spiritual reasons. They come for natural. They're going through a bad time. They got a bad report. They got laid off. They got a bad doctor. They're coming because hell slapped them center. They're looking for hope. Well, our job is to put hope back in the people that have lost it. God's got an answer. We might not get it all taken care of today, but I promise you, somewhere in the word of God, somewhere in our church, somebody's got an answer for what you're going through. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. The church is a hope reinfusing. That's what we do. We put hope back into people. Well, you got to get among them to put hope back into them. You got to know how to go reach them. They're not coming to you. One thing you just touched on there that I didn't actually even have in my notes for today, and back to the whole vision thing, is you got to have a vision for the people that you're wanting to hire and come alongside yes. you yes. Uh, to do what you're going to do. Yeah, and that goes back to, believe it or not, job descriptions. I'm not trying to hire a nice person. I got a specific job I need done. And so I've got the incredible advantage of traveling for 22 years, seeing some of the finest churches in America. And all different. There's no two churches that are the same. Now, there's groups of them that like to fellowship together. You'll find like kind draw like kind. Every year, for quite a few years, two or three pastors would quit. They would just quit. They didn't have an affair. There was no financial. They just burned out and quit. Because you can't, you can't give out if you're not taking in. You know, the Bible tells ministers, take heed to yourself, then the flock of God. If you don't have a strong personal relationship with Jesus, if you're not reading your own Bible, if you're not praying, if you're not hooked up to God, I don't care how talented you are, you won't last. This will drain you. Remember Jesus walking down a crowded street one day, got all of his disciples packed like a sardine can. They're trying to get through. I've been down on that street in Jerusalem. I've been there. And Jesus walking down through it. And all of a sudden, Jesus looked at Peter and said, man, somebody touched me. Peter said, touched you? We're all touching. We're in there like a sardine can. Everybody says, no, I felt virtue out of me. Somebody touched me. Back everybody up. And they stopped. And they backed up. Well, there's that woman that had been bleeding to death for 12 years, you know, incurable blood disease, laying at his feet. Jesus looks down because the woman had said, if you read earlier, if I can touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made whole. 
And she's not allowed in public. You get out in public bleeding, they can stone you to death. By law, they're to kill you dead. Well, they didn't see her because it's packed like a star. She's crawling under everybody's feet down that hallway. And she grabbed Jesus' coat and he said, boom. And so Jesus stood her up and says, woman, your faith made you whole. I didn't. I didn't know you were down there. But Jesus felt it go out of him. Boom, boom. I used to tell you, you know why Jesus goes out and prays all night? Because he got drained that day. If you don't load back up, eventually you'll run out of juice. You're going to run out of love, favor, time, patience, and you'll just be mad and your mouth will spew verbal hell. Why? You're empty. You didn't fellowship with the Father. Your first priority is your relationship with God himself, number one. That's number one. If you don't do that, all the education in the world will not help you build anything. You gotta stay hooked up to God. And many great ministers, we could just name names that we've admired, respected, fell flat on their face. Uh, immorally, ethically, what happened? You got a gift, your gift made room for you, brought you four kings and made you famous, but you had no relationship with Jesus. You pulled away. And that's the only thing that keeps you. Jesus is the only thing that's gonna keep you. You gotta stay hooked up. You gotta have a personal relationship with God or you won't make it. I don't care how high your IQ, how many degrees you got on the wall, the devil will take you out. He's not afraid of your IQ. He's not afraid of your degree. He's afraid of Christ in you coming out of your mouth. You better be fellowship with God. That's the number one priority. Last question for you. If anybody wants to get in touch with you, how do they do it? Uh, they can go to our website, joemcgeeministries.com. Joe, thank you so much. No, thank you guys. Huge thanks to Joe McGee for coming on our podcast. We really appreciate it. Now, I know you got a lot out of that interview, but in case you were wanting more, in case you were left, you know, unsatisfied, we actually uh, have the full interview. This is only half of the interview. We have posted the full unedited, unabridged version on our website under the blog section. So uh, if you want more, Joe McGee, go check that out. Uh, again, that's on our blog page. Now, I wanted to throw out something to those of you who have pushed through and made it to the final closing moments of this podcast. Uh, a little uh, a little scavenger hunt, if you will. If you can email us the name of the latest blog post we have posted on our website, thecreativesheep.com. If you can email us that, the name of that post, to jared at thecreativesheep.com. Again, that's J-A-R-E-D at thecreativesheep.com. We'll send you something. We'll just send you something via email. And hey, who knows what it's going to be? You don't know, but it's going to be good. Something, something you'll like. So definitely go do that. Um, just, a little, just a little freebie for you. Now that's all for today's episode. Huge thanks from myself, Roman Johnson, Jared Hogue, and the entire Creative Sheep crew. We'll catch you next time.